Okay. So last week, I'm carrying on from last week and um, I'm trying to see like who all, we have like nobody in here. <laughs> I know. That's funny. Yeah, I need cardboard people like in the football stadiums. <laughs> Add a few extra cardboard people. You guys are the VIP that actually gets to come in and then we'll have cardboard people in the rest of the spots. And we'll talk to whoever whoever's on Facebook. Good morning. Okay, so last week um, I spoke about that we're I'm going through a series. We're talking about um, just giving an overview of the whole Bible, God's plan of salvation, and how that all fits together. Um, so if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back and uh, watch that video or listen to the audio, and it's on the church website under media, and it'll kind of give you because we went through Genesis, and it gives you a good um, foundational start to that. So I the format that I'm using for this um, series is from uh, Phil Vischer's What's in the Bible, which is what I use to, uh, Christine and I use to teach um, the uh, our junior church class, and uh, it's just v- put together very well, and so I used that as my template for a lot of it, and also from some um, teaching on that from John Whitaker. So, um, sorry, I forgot my clicker. There we go. So last week we talked about, um, we talked about the books of the Bible, what type of books are in the Bible. We broke that up a little bit. And, um, right now we're currently going through, um, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy, which is called the Pentateuch. And, um, we broke the Bible down into eight chapters and we last week we talked about um, creation and the patriarchs, how God um, saved or started his rescue plan um, through a series of fathers. Um, this week we're going to move on to the escape, but um, we are going to go. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. Um, so before we talk about, we go on to Exodus, um, I'm going to step back for a moment. Uh, we had when we had talked about how the books of the, you know, how the Bible's kind of put together, um, I just kind of want to step into that again. And so first we're going to talk about the word um, canon and what the word canon means. So canon comes from the Greek word, which means standard, measuring rod, or rule. Um, the Old and New Testament hold up to the standard of, um, as God's inspired word. So the Old Testament canon are the stories of Israel's history that were passed down um, through through the generations and collected. And about 500 years before Jesus was born, they were organized into books. And rabbis decided which books um, were inspired by God and which books were just books of interesting Jewish history. And um, and so it's believed that the final list of inspired books um, of the Old Testament was set by 140 B.C., and so that's the Old Testament canon. 
The New Testament books were determined by the early church. So in about 30 AD, Jesus died. And by 95 AD, so not that long after that, all of the New Testament writings had already been completed. So, you know, most of the writings were letters to churches um, or just, uh, you know, the Gospels were an account of Jesus Jesus's life. So those were mostly written by 95 AD, but new writings kept popping up. So the early church saw a need um, that they needed to create a canon for which books were um, legitimate. And um, so uh, as they were going around so that there wasn't any false teaching, they had a standard of the teachings. So um, they wanted an official list, just like the Old Testament. So they came up with a test. So the first question in their test was, did the writing come from someone who knew Jesus, an apostle, or a close friend of an apostle? The second question was, did the writing agree with what the early church apostles taught about Jesus? And the third question was, were the writings already accepted and used um, by the whole church? And if the writings passed all three tests, then they were in the canon. So by 200 AD, church leaders agreed on 21 of the 27 books that we currently have in the New Testament. By 240 AD, they agreed on all but four books. And by 300 AD, only Hebrews and Revelations were still being discussed. So um, so that's like, you know, 100 years, and they were still kind of talking about which books for sure that they were going to put in the Bible. In um, 367 AD, a church leader named Athanasius um, sent out the annual Easter letter setting the date for Easter. And in this letter, he named all 27 books of the New Testament, and nobody objected. So for the first time, all the leaders agreed that those 27 books should be part of that, and the New Testament canon was set. So once again, the more you know. Just tuck that in your belt. So, um, uh, oh, we done it. So now we're going to. Um, I'm just going to briefly review Genesis and what we talked about last week as we go into Exodus. So last week uh, we talked about Genesis. We talked about God creating the world. Um, Adam and Eve broke faith with God uh, when they didn't trust him and they chose to disobey by eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And uh, then they were sent away from God's presence, away from the garden. We talked about Noah and the flood and how God started his rescue plan with a man named Abraham and his wife, Sarah. Because God wanted to save us from sin and what it does to us, he wanted to restore us to faith and relationship with him. Because the price of sin is death. So God made a covenant promise with Abraham. And um, he said, you know, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So this is the Abrahamic covenant covenant God made with Abraham, the the covenant that leads all the way through and through to Jesus, who is our ultimate blessing through that. So um, then Abraham, we talked about um, the lineage of Abraham, 
how Abraham um, and Sarah had Isaac, and Isaac was their child of promise. So um, the lineage goes, even though Abraham had some other children, um, the lineage goes through him down to Jesus. Um, so Isaac and um, Isaac and Rebekah had Jacob, and then they had, um, Jacob had 12 sons by some different uh, different wives. And um, again, Jesus' lineage comes down through, I'm pointing this way, even though you're seeing this way. Jesus' lineage comes um, down through, sorry. There we go. Down through um, Leah to Judah and um, David to Jesus. But we went and we talked about Joseph, um, who was the son of uh, Jacob's favorite wife. Joseph went to Egypt. He saved um, the family of Jacob through famine, and um, so God could continue his rescue plan. And at that time, then, all of um, Jacob's family went down to Egypt, and that's how uh, Genesis ended, with all of Jacob's family going to Egypt. So um, Exodus starts with... uh, a new Pharaoh who had forgotten everything that Joseph had done. So time had gone on almost, um, 400 years had gone by. Um, and, uh, sorry, I jumped ahead of myself again. I'm like, Oh yeah, I have notes. I can't just go off. I could, but I'll start. let me step back just a minute. So Exodus second book of the Bible, there's 40 chapters in Exodus. Um, the word exodus means exit or departure. And um, so that's what this whole book is about. The beginning of um, exodus picks up about 400 years after Jacob's family had settled in Egypt. And um, because the Egyptians, uh, the Pharaoh, he was um, threatened um, by the Hebrews, um, which is what they called Jacob's family. And or Hebrews and Israelites at this point um, can be used in interchangeably and um but they're threatened by them their numbers have grown and so they make them into slaves but even though they're being oppressed their numbers continue to grow greatly and um so pharaoh commands that all the hebrew baby boys be thrown into the nile river and drown um but uh this is where moses comes in So now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But um, she wasn't able to hide him anymore after that, so she made a basket, and she put him into the river, um, hoping that he would be saved. And Pharaoh's daughter um, found Moses, and after a time raised him as her own. And because we're doing an overview of all of this so that we can drop in later and it all makes sense. It, I can't, there's so much to talk about in Exodus and Moses and I can't talk about everything. So I just have to kind of skim, skim over that. But as always, I encourage you to go and, um, dive deeper into that on your own as well. Um, so, uh, Moses grew up in Pharaoh's house. He grew up in the palace. So he learned, he should have learned a lot about leading there as well. And, um, one day Moses was out and he saw an Egyptian beating, um, a Hebrew and 
he uh, killed that Egyptian. He hid the Egyptian in the sand. He didn't think anybody saw what had happened. But uh, Pharaoh found out and wanted to kill Moses. And so Moses fled to the land of Midian. There he became a shepherd. And one day when he was out tending his flocks, um, he saw a bush on the mountain that was on fire, but it didn't burn up. And so, of course, like, oh, that's weird. So he went and um, to check out this bush, and um, God spoke to Moses from the bush, and he told Moses that he'd heard the cries of the children of Israel that were in slavery, and he was sending Moses to deliver them from slavery and take them into the land that he had promised Abraham. And so, um, oops, I guess I don't know the verse there. Um, so Moses uh, said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So um, Moses then goes on. Uh, he feels very dis- uh, very um, disqualified to go and lead the people. So Moses has a lot of th- things saying, I'm not a good, you know, he says, I'm not a good speaker. I can't do this. Um, God gets a bit frustrated with Moses because he just wants him to go. He knows he's qualified, he, you know, that he's leading him. God knows that he's leading Moses. He'll tell him what to do. He'll tell him what to say. But Moses just says, I can't do it. So God says, well, I will send your brother Aaron, Moses' birth brother. I will send your brother Aaron. I've already sent him. He's on his way to meet you. And um, I will, um, you'll have Aaron speak for you. So um, Moses goes and him and Aaron go to Pharaoh. And over and over again, um, he, it says to Pharaoh, you know, he goes to Pharaoh several times and um he says, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, commands that you let my people go. But every time uh, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and um, so Moses performed a series of miracles in Egypt. And, um, and those are what we call the ten, ten plagues of Egypt. So every time that Moses would go to Pharaoh... And Pharaoh would say no, that he wasn't going to let the people go. Um, God, through Moses and Aaron, would perform um, some kind of miracle that was devastating. So um, water turning to blood and um, plagues of frogs or gnats, flies, um, livestock dying, boils, and you know skin problems, and, and basically just destruction in Egypt, but everything would be fine in the part of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, where the Israelites lived. So it would just touch the Egyptians. So, um, so by, uh, these, these things happening, God was also showing Moses that he was God because God told Moses beforehand, everything that he would do and then it would happen. So in this time, Moses was also learning to trust God. 
the final plague um, that happened in Egypt was the death of the firstborn sons. And so just as Pharaoh had tried to kill the firstborn sons of all the Hebrew people, um, God was now bringing that plague on them and that all of their firstborn sons would die. So the Lord told the Israelites to sacrifice a spotless lamb and to put the blood on their doorposts to protect them from the death of the firstborn. Um, when the destroyer came through, it passed over the houses that had the blood on the doorposts and um, so that their firstborn were safe. And this is called Passover. And that's where we get um, the get the celebration, Jewish celebration of Passover from. So the lamb took place of the punishment for their sins. Um, the Israelites had been living in Egypt for a long time. And so they were living in sin too. They weren't perfect. They were probably also worshiping other gods, or at least some people were worshiping other gods. Because 400 years had gone by. They didn't have Jacob telling them any you know, more about the promises that God had promised them. And so, um, you know, in some ways it was probably, okay, there's this, there's this promise out there that we're going to be saved someday. Someday the God of our father, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is going to save us. But they didn't really see him as their God probably yet, but that um, he was the God of their fathers, but he was a God. So they weren't perfect either. They needed to be covered under that blood. And so the blood on that doorpost um, protected them. And that is, you know, a foreshadowing of God or of Jesus dying for us and being that blood that, um, that saved us and that death passes over us because of the blood of Jesus on the doorposts of our heart. And, um, so the Egyptian or the Israelites had been in Egypt for 430 years by this time. And after the death of Pharaoh's son, Pharaoh said, go, take your things, leave immediately. So um, all of the Israelites, um, Moses led them out of Egypt, and um, they, left, they left in a rush. God prepared them and told them how to leave. So after that, they came to the Red Sea, um, and immediately... Israelites began to complain because it was a roadblock in front of them. And they said, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to die? And Moses said, hold on, watch what God will do. And God uh, parted the waters of the Red Sea and the Israelites walked right through. Uh, the Egyptians had said, what have we done? We've lost all our slave labor and came after them, pursuing them, but all the Israelites were able to get through the water safely onto the other side, and the Israelites pursued them through, um, but the water, God brought the water back together and drowned many of the Egyptians that were following them through there. And then um, Moses leads them to Mount Sinai, and there at Mount Sinai, um, God uh, makes another covenant with the people of Israel that uh, they will be his people, and he will be their God and king. So then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession." 
Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So God is setting it all up right there. And remember this because we'll kind of come back to it later on. So God's saying, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, so the promise that he's making to them, then out of all the nations, they'll be blessed and, um, and they'll be his. So, um, God, um, and then the people respond, um, when Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said, we will do. So they entered into a covenant with God. He gave them their promise. And right here, they promised God, everything you say, Lord, we will do. So from here on, um, from Exodus 20 through the end of the book, God gives Israel instructions through Moses about how to live faithfully to him. There are instructions about how to run the kingdom, how God will go before them and give them the promised land, and how to build the tabernacle tent. And God gave them the Ten Commandments. So the the very first commandment was, you shall have no other gods before me. And right away, the Israelites break that. Um, While Moses was with God on the mountain, getting the instructions with the Ten Commandments written, um, and God wrote the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone, like God actually wrote them on the stone tablets, um, the people were so impatient down below that um, they had Aaron make a golden calf for them to worship and said, this is the God that has brought us out of Egypt. And they were acting just like the nations around them and were already forgetting the covenant that they had made with God. And uh, God was frustrated with them over and over, but Moses begged God for another chance. And um, God keeps his covenant with them. God forgives them, but um, there's always there's always a cost. For every time that the Israelites do something like worshiping other gods or breaking the breaking God's covenant with them there's usually some sort of the ground might sw- open up and swallow a portion of them or um uh, a disease might come through the camp or or something like that and um and we'll talk a little bit more about some of that in a bit um but there is a, there's a cost um God's presence dwells among them in the tabernacle um, he gives them instructions on how to build the tabernacle, and and uh, he dwells among them there. Um, once a year, a priest can go uh, deep into the tabernacle um, behind the curtain into God's presence, but he has to go through some rituals to be purified and, and um, sin-free before he goes in. And just to be sure, they tie a rope around his ankle as he goes in. So if he is in the holy presence of God and, um, and sins, that they can pull his body out because nobody else can go in to get him. And that's the end of Exodus. <laughs> so a really quick view through Exodus. So um, before we go on to Leviticus, I'm trying to get through the Pentateuch today, and we'll see if we can get all the way through. Um, with time, um, I want to give you another way of looking at the Old and New Testament. Um, so 
we talked about the Old Testament um, being the old promise, and it's also God's, um, it tells us about God's physical kingdom. So um, how God was setting up, you know, there's um, there's buildings and there's uh, the temple. There's a specific group of people, um, which is Israel, the Israelites. And then um, in the New Testament, um, you know, that's the new promise. And God is setting up a spiritual kingdom. So when you're looking at um, like, oh, wow, you know, some of those rules and laws, they seem so extreme and, and, and everything. God was setting up a physical kingdom in the Old Testament, uh, Israel, in the New Testament. And uh, we are under that new promise, that new covenant with Jesus. And God is setting up a spiritual kingdom as a kingdom we can't see like the physical kingdom. Um, but, and everyone on earth can be a part of it, not just the Israelites. And, um, and this, new kingdom of God, um, the spiritual kingdom of God completes God's rescue plan that we've been talking about. So the old and new Testament don't make sense without each other. So you can't, uh, well, we're just under the new covenant. We just, um, pay attention to the new Testament. We need to, we need them all to, to make sense together. And another important thing to remember is that the Bible is written for us, but it's not written to us. So when the Bible was written, it was written to a specific group of people. So when the law was written, that was written specifically to the Israelites, to that kingdom of Israel. In the New Testament, when Paul wrote letters, he was writing to specific churches. It is written for us. God knew that that would all be for us, and we learn from that. But that helps us to kind of see things in context. God was speaking to specific people, to specific um, churches, and um, we get to learn all from that, but it goes deeper into context. And another time, another day, we'll talk more about those types of things. Um, but um, so, But it's just an important thing to remember um, and so we get to see God's heart through all of this, how he made a long plan to save us and to make us holy through Christ, through um, the journey with the Israelites here. So next, we're going to go on to the book of Leviticus after I get a drink of water, which is over here. And I know I'm flying through this fast, but it will all be recorded if you want to go back later or if you have any questions, please feel free to ask me afterwards. So the book of Leviticus is the third book of the Bible, and it has 27 chapters. Leviticus is like an instruction manual. A lot of times when people want to read through the whole Bible, they start in Genesis, and then they can get kind of bogged down when you get to Leviticus. Because before that, it's like, oh, I'm kind of reading history. This is interesting. This is, And then Leviticus is a lot of... Um, rules. Um, it's an instruction manual. Sometimes you can get kind of bogged down in an instruction manual, but it was important. Um, and, uh, we'll go into that. So, um, the, this instruction manual was for the Israelites on how to be holy and holy means to be dedicated to or set apart for God. And God asked the people, uh, to set apart different things for him as holy. They were supposed to set apart a day as holy, which was the Sabbath. Um, they were to set apart oil as holy. We've got a 
small container of oil over here we set aside as holy oil if we anoint um, someone um, for service or prayer or for health or anything like that we set that apart we don't use it for I don't take that oil even though it may be olive oil that I could use for cooking I don't use that oil for cooking because it is now holy oil that we set apart separate for God that we use for a separate purpose just for God so um, it's set apart and it, so we're not using it for regular things God wanted a whole people that was holy and set apart for him a whole nation. So he wanted Israel to be his holy people um, set apart. And Israel needed uh, to be holy in order to worship God. So Leviticus, uh, Leviticus means about the Levites. And um, God set the tribe of Levi apart from the other tribes for this purpose. So there were 12 tribes because um, Jacob had 12 sons. There were 12 tribes. And um, so God set the tribe of Levi apart. Um, and the Levites were in charge of the tabernacle, which we had seen that. That was God's uh, holy tent. And he, they spent their time taking care of the tent and teaching the people how to worship God and to follow his instructions. And these instructions are laid out in Leviticus. So there's a lot of instructions for the Levites in there. Um, so I'm going to go into just a few question answer things. It's um, sometimes some usual questions that people have kind of in this area of the Bible. Um, so because there are a lot of rules and punishments um, laid out in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy... And some of them from if you curse your mother or father, you're, you are to be stoned. Or not to wear clothing woven from two different kinds of material. And many, 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 many other things. Um, people say, why don't we follow some of these rules today? And why are the punishments so severe for some of those things? So God made them more than one kind of rule. Because he was asking for more than one kind of holiness from them. He was asking for a ritual and ethical holiness. So ritual holiness, uh, a ritual is something that we do over and over again that has a deep meaning. Um, that reminds us of something important. So like we did communion today, that's a ritual that we do that reminds us of the importance of Christ dying for us um, and being raised from the dead and us living in him. We celebrate things like birthdays and Christmas and all different, your anniversary, anything like that. Those are all things that rituals that we do um, to remind us of something important. So all the rules that God gave the Israelites would remind them several times a day that they were set apart for God and to do their very best for him. So as they had to do those over throughout the day, they would remember. So those rules were for God's, like we talked about before, for God's physical kingdom of Israel. It's under the old promise, old covenant, Old Testament. Ethical holiness, ethical is how we behave and how we treat one another. Those are still true today. So those rules that God, you know, things that God spoke to them then, um, don't steal your neighbor's things, don't um, covet, don't murder. Those um, are ethical rules, and those still apply to us today. 
Um, and they're still true in the New Testament, and it's all summed up in love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. If you do those things, then all those other laws, you know, um, ethical laws come in under that um, in the New Testament. So uh, Jesus took that, um, you know, so there were those penalties. Um, Jesus took that penalty of sin for us because the penalty of sin is death. And we now live in him. So he took that on himself. Praise God. Um, so why the punishments? The Israelites were living under a covenant with God. And a covenant goes both ways. At Mount Sinai, God told Israel what he would do for them. He would give them land. He would defend them. He would go before them and fight their battles for them. Um, and he would bless them. But in return, they would need to follow all of his laws and commands. And as we read before, they said that they would do that. So why would God even make a covenant with them? He knew that they were going to break it. Um, but he did that so that the whole world would learn about God. Um, by the other nations seeing how he blessed Israel, they would see God's power and love. The other nations would see God's power and love. By seeing the laws that Israel had to follow to be a part of that covenant and the punishments for breaking those laws all the nations would learn just how holy God is. So when we say that God is holy, do we mean that God is set apart for God? What we mean when we say that God is holy is that God is set apart from everything. God made everything, but nothing made God. Uh, he is completely different from everything else. He is perfect, perfect, complete, and he is the standard for what is good. So calling God holy means that he is so different and so far above and beyond us that all we can do is worship him. A holy God deserves to be worshiped and obeyed. So if God was going to live with the Israelites, they needed to keep sin out of their camp. If they were going to enjoy his blessings, they had to be different than all other nations. And this is the reason for the strong rules and punishments. Um, they were doing something that no one had ever, or no one had done since the Garden of Eden. Uh, they were going to live with God. He was dwelling among them. So God would bless them in amazing ways, but living with a holy and powerful God in a world full of sin and temptation was very hard. So the laws about forming Israel into a new nation, um, and it shows us what is important to God his priorities and values, and we can hear his heart and what is important and live that out. These rules and punishments were just for the children of Israel, as I mentioned, um, but we learn how God wants a holy people for himself and how that fits into his rescue plan. So that is the book of uh, Leviticus, and we're going to uh, briefly go through the book of Numbers. So the book of Numbers is the fourth book of the Bible. It has 36 books in it, and um, the Hebrew name for this book is excuse me, Bemidbar, uh, which means desert, because most of this book takes place in the desert. The book of Numbers starts out with a list of numbers. It's a census of the Israelites, and it's a time, um, it is uh, the time for them to head to the promised land that was promised to Abraham, um, Isaac, and Jacob's descendants. So on the journey, the Israelites um, constantly complain, 
and you'll read a lot of that in uh, throughout here. So, um, you know, are, are we there yet? I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I'm tired of eating that. Why did you bring me here? I feel like I'm going to die. Just take me back. So kind of like taking your kids on a trip. So that's, uh, Moses was a parent of a lot of people and, um, he heard that a lot and they would forget over and over again because every time that they were hungry, God provided them, you know, they were hungry. God gave them manna, um, like a food on the ground. They got tired of manna. He gave them quail, so much quail till it came out of their nostrils, <laughs> something like that, the Bible says, you know, I mean, till they were just sick of it. Um, and he gave them, they were thirsty he gave them water out of a rock. Um, he, they would come up against opposition. He would fight their battles for them and throw their enemies into confusion, and they would um, overcome them. So he provided for them in many, many ways, but they would always forget when the next trouble came around. Um, and uh, he's very long-suffering for them, with them. So they get to Canaan, which is part of the promised land, part of the land I promised to them, and uh, Moses sends in 12 spies to check out the land. And in Numbers, we hear their report. So they came back to Moses, the spies did, and uh, came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them, to the whole assembly, and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here it is, or here's its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak came from the, uh, came from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in their own eyes, and we looked the same to the, and we looked the same to them. So, um, yeah, so they've already forgotten again how God has taken care of them and, um, they didn't trust God that he would do what he said he would do. Uh, even though he told them over and over again that he would fight for them. So this is what God's response to them was. So tell them as surely as I live declares the Lord. I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb and Joshua. As for your children that you said would be taken from you as plunder, I will bring them into in to enjoy the land you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. So, um, so all of those that complain there, they don't get to go into the promised land. All those ones that were 
over the age of 20 that were delivered from Egypt because they didn't trust the Lord. They didn't go get to go in, and now they were going to have to wander around in the desert for 40 years until that generation died off, and then their children would get to go in the promised land. Um, so that is how the book of Numbers ends. Um, they're heading back out into the desert again. Um, so then they, we get to the book of Deuteronomy and, um, the book of Deuteronomy is the last book we're going to talk about today. There's 34 books and Deuteronomy means second law or repeated law. Um, um, so in Deuteronomy, Moses gives a big speech. Uh, there is, since there's a new generation about to head in, he's reminding them again of how God brought their fathers, um, their their family out of Egypt, and um, he's telling them the law again because they're a new um, generation. They need to hear the law again. Um, it does get repeated, but he's just reminding them and in a way giving them a pep talk before they go in and reminding them how God's provided and taking care of them and how he'll continue to do that. So, um, uh, God makes another covenant again here with the Israelites, uh, telling them that he'll bless them if they obey and um, the curses that they'll have if they turn away from him. And he also tells them that one of the curses, if they turn away from him, would be exile from the promised land. So he would let their enemies come in and take them away if they uh, didn't obey. That's an important foreshadowing moment to remember. Um, so after Moses spoke to the people, uh, the Lord told him to go up to Mount Nebo. And um, the Lord said, uh, there on the mountain that you have climbed, you will die and be gathered to your people. Just as your brother Aaron died on Mount Hor and was gathered to his people. This is because both of you broke faith with me in the presence of the Israelites at the waters of Meribah, Kadesh, in the desert of Zin. And because you did not hold up my holiness among the Israelites. So... Um, so Moses didn't get to go into the promised land. Even though he did a lot of good things and he followed God a lot, God is holy. And um, there was a point when God told him to strike a rock, um, no, to speak to a rock, and water would come out of it. And Moses didn't, and he struck the rock. And even though God brought water out of the rock, he told Moses and Aaron then that um, because uh, they struck the rock instead, um, that they weren't going to be able to go into the promised land because they didn't rely on God in that moment. So, um, so the Lord showed Moses the promised land from Mount Nebo and then Moses died and the Lord actually buried him there. The people didn't know where Moses was buried. Um, the Lord buried Moses. So that's the end of Deuteronomy and that is the end of the Pentateuch which is the first five books of the Bible. And next week we'll move on to Joshua and some of the books after Joshua. Um, so just a brief sum up and then we'll close for today. So Moses um, tried to teach the Israelites the fear of the Lord, um, which the fear, um, Brent spoke about that today, and it's a deep respect for the Lord. 
They had to take God and his laws seriously um, in order to live with him. And they learned that living with a holy God uh, was very hard. And um, But God's moving forward, his rescue plan. And we're learning about, learn, continue to learn about that. And, um, and we can learn a lot from the Israelite journey. So just take some time this week. If you have time to, you know, you pop into some of those books, um, now that you have an overview of what it's like and, and, uh, read more for yourself. There's a lot of interesting history in there, and there's a lot in Exodus I couldn't dive into, but we will other times now that we have this framework. It's a good spot to to dive in, and you'll remember what that's about. Um, But thinking about the Israelites and how that relates to us, you know, just even going back to their whininess and their trust with God, and um, God providing for them, and then forgetting that when the next thing comes along. And I think we can get into that cycle you know, we can get into that where we we come up against something and God provides for us. He takes us through and then like, oh, God, you're so good. And then, you know, we may even like the next few things that come along. Lord, I give that to you, you know, and trust him. But then eventually we try to do things in our own strength again and we forget and we come whiny again. And, um, and uh, instead, it'd be good. We just took our things to God each time. God, we trust you. A God is faithful, and he takes care of us, and he reminds us. But this is the good thing about having the whole Bible, is that uh, we read it, and we remember his goodness and his faithfulness and his whole plan for us. So let's go ahead and pray, and uh, we'll be dismissed. Lord, we love you. You are good. We thank you that you have a whole plan, that you had a plan from the fall with Adam and Eve, right up to and through us, Lord. We thank you that we're a part of your plan, and we just ask that you just show us more and more how we can uh, walk with you and live out our part in this story. Show us ways to uh, reach out and influence those around us, Lord, uh, to touch them with your love, to show your love. We just thank you for your word. We thank you for gathering together your word, Lord, that we can study and we can know you through this, that it's alive and active, that there's just so, so many layers to it, Lord, that that right now, even though it feels like there's so much information we talked about, that we're still just scratching the surface. And we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would just open our eyes up as we read your word, and that we would understand your meaning and intention that you would just take it deep into our hearts, just write it on our hearts. And we just love you, Lord. We just thank you for your your healing and your comfort and your peace to those here and those not here. In Jesus' name, amen.